0: Toba Toba Oho Bad Betty I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala Podcast. This multi-award winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos from sex, sexuality, mental health menopause to nipple hair and more this season is a u.s. special and it took me by surprise you see i interviewed these incredible south asian american women i expected to hear some angst around identity and belonging instead they told me how comfortable they were with both their south asian and american identity i confess This is not the podcast season I set out to record. It's so much more powerful. Before we begin, here's a quick warning. In this episode, I talk about some quite painful things from my past, like domestic abuse, my mother's murder, and there's even a mention of rape. So please check the show notes for details and please do take care of yourself. Welcome to a very different Masala podcast. Because the guest on this episode is me. For the final episode of season five, I'm being interviewed by Melanie Chandra in a studio in New York City. And I'm sharing things with Mel and with you, my listeners, things that I've never shared before, like why I do this podcast and why I keep going season after season. I also share my personal life, my past like the time I cut off my hair, or when I made some non-feminist dating choices. Also, the time I almost had an arranged marriage. Almost. You'll hear more about my life journey. I hope hearing about my journey inspires you in your own life journey. Hello and welcome to Masala Podcast. This is an episode with a twist. Because when I interviewed Mel, she said, if you ever come to New York, I'll interview you. I'll turn the tables on you and I'll ask all the questions. I don't think she ever expected me to actually turn up. So here I am in New York. I kind of buzzed around and said, here I am, interview me. And that's what we're doing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so here I am. We're sitting at the Spotify offices in New York. And I'm so glad that we're actually able to do this. You know, honestly, just want to celebrate Sankita because she um you know reached out to me to do her podcast and afterwards i left thinking wow i mean this is an incredible woman there's just so much compassion behind your voice. And I could tell that there was just so much there that I wanted to explore. I'm, you know, I don't really, I don't do this for a living, but I'm just like, let me just try, you know, let me talk to you I want to hear about your stories. Um, you have such a dedicated audience and I'm sure they would love to know more about, you know, the woman behind the podcast. So um, I'm so glad that we're able to make this work.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really, really touched. And Mel is super busy. She's super successful. She's running around everywhere, and she's still made time for this. So deeply, deeply grateful.
1: Fantastic. So I guess it's it's on me. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, Mel. No pressure. Um, So I thought it would be fun to start with something a little bit different, just to give your audiences just a little bit of flavor. not necessarily rapid fire, but just some questions that, you know, people don't know about you. Um, so, first, tell me about the last book you read.
0: I reread something that I read when I was really young called The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. So, I recently found I had an old copy and it had a huge impact on me when I was 20-something living in Mumbai. Because I didn't think you could make a living as a writer. Like, I was told that, you know, you had to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. So to see a woman like me from Kerala writing a book, which became this, and it was it won the Booker Prize and all of that. So I reread that, and it really touched me once again.
1: How would you describe your fashion style?
0: Very colorful.
1: She is wearing a bright red jumpsuit, and it looks fantastic.
0: I don't do beige. Again, it's something I've learned when I moved to the West from India. I grew up in India. I spent most of my adult life in India. I tried to blend in and I started to wear a lot more like browns and greys and blacks. Mm. And those were the kind of dress codes of advertising agencies, places that I worked in. And it's only the last kind of five years when I've started to embrace my identity, kind of the work that I do and sell a podcast that I've started to wear a lot more color. isn't it funny? So it's kind of like I've gone back to my roots mm-hmm. even with the colors that I'm choosing. Absolutely.
1: And you know you deserve it too. people should people should look at you. you know you're doing so many wonderful things and when you walk in the room you should you command that attention. And final question childhood crush ideally someone famous.
0: I don't have to think twice Amitabh Bachchan you were probably too young to remember him but oh my god I remember being like 12 and he did this film I think it was Kala Patthar. anybody that's grown up in India will will know this and he turned up on screen like with a shirt knotted at his waist and I had never I thought oh my god I didn't even know it was sex sexy I just knew mm. I felt something I didn't know what that mm. something was I was too young the
1: shirt at the waist oh my god oh. and
0: he was like tall and lean and dark and we'd never seen anyone like that before so it was Amitabh Bachchan. So I think he was my stuff of schoolgirl crushes. I watched a lot of his films um, over and over again. Mm-hmm. I loved his voice. I found him very sexy, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So that was my proper schoolgirl mm-hmm. crush.
1: Let's stay with your childhood a little bit. You know, ultimately, I want to know what drives you and understand why you created this podcast and where you're going with it and talk about its impact. But I think a lot of that starts... From youth, you know, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood, your fondest memories, maybe some hard things that
0: you had to overcome? So um, you're absolutely right. All the work I do now, I've realized, goes back to my childhood. It's kind of how I grew up, who I was. I grew up in a slum in Mumbai. I grew up in a very poor family. Um, we were from Kerala, but we moved to Mumbai when I was a year old. And my father was alcoholic. He was, you know, he was very abusive. So there was a lot of violence at home. So every night, like, I'd be terrified to go to sleep. I would, you know, like children do that thing where I would say, if I count to this and I haven't fallen asleep, it won't happen tonight. Mm. Like, it was this thing I told myself And I'd sometimes fall asleep and my dad would come home and I would kind of sniff the air like and I think of smelling alcohol, but I didn't know what I was doing. I would like smell like an animal
1: Mm.
0: and he would come and it would be very violent and there was like a lot of blood and he would like, you know, hit her head against the wall. And it was horrific. And we'd kind of, I don't know what it was, we'd wake up in the morning, help kind of put her together and sometimes take her to the hospital and then just go to school It was so disconnected and so dysfunctional, but it's the only kind of way we knew. So I grew up thinking that women had no power. Like my mother couldn't leave. She didn't have a job. She didn't have money. You know, she couldn't go anywhere. No one would look after her and her kids. A lot of my kind of deepest beliefs come from there, where I was thinking I did not want a life like that. Mm -hmm. I was like, whatever happens... I want to have a voice. I want to have my own money. I want to have the ability to kind of live in the world without being battered by a man every single night
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: that's what I saw. At what age did you realize that? I don't think I did. And this is what's funny. I think I always knew. Like it was this belief deep in my gut that I did not want this life, the life that I saw around me. Mm, I can relate. And the life that I was being told, like, you know, girls at that point, you know, 80s India were told like, oh, yeah, well, the best you can hope for is a nice man will marry you. Like, that's the best Mm. possible dream life that you can have. And even my mother, sometimes I'd say like, oh, I'd love to travel. She'd say to me, oh, well, if you marry someone who travels, you can travel. So you see, like, those were kind of the boxes we were put in. But I think I was born with this kind of... Fire inside Mm. me, like that's the only word I can think of. Mm -hmm. And I knew, I always, always knew that that life wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard because I was staying at home, and girls didn't leave the house at that point. They'd say, you know, either your funeral pyre leaves or your bridal, whatever leaves. Like that's one of the things I was told. But I just stayed at home. I fought and I fought and I fought. I'm like, okay, these are this is the job I'm having. These are the clothes I'm wearing. These are the friends I'm having. And it was very hard for them. And now I look back and I feel a bit sorry for my mother because she did the best she could. Like she was trying to give me the best. And for her the best would be like a nice guy would marry me. You know? Mm-hmm. So in her own way, she was trying hard. But I was just different. I was born different. I was different. And I just yeah, I just knew inside me. Like did like the the cells in my body knew, yeah. if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I think we don't realize till we're older that our parents, most of our parents did want the best for us. And, you know, coming from uh, not living where you grew up and not having a support system and being under so much pressure, whatever the circumstances are, they're trying their best within the circumstances. How long did you stay in that house?
0: I left when I was 29 so we leave we kind of moved from the slum I think we moved I was in sixth fifth or sixth standard which is like 11 12 in India mm. so I was in that place for that that long I was horrible and I still have a lot of memories like the toilets were outside and when I say shitty I mean like literally shitty yeah. it was wow. horrible yeah and it was this tiny house like this studio is probably as big as our entire home and there were five of us I don't even know how we lived so we moved from there when I was 11 and, or 12. And then I went to school, studied in Bombay. We call it Bombay, call it Bombay now. But I knew that the only way out was education. Like I knew, like my one out was this. So I worked really, really hard. Um, and I did it well at school, university, eventually got a job in advertising. Okay. Is that what you studied? I, you'll laugh. I, did, I have a commerce degree. If okay. you ask me what's two plus two, I won't be able to tell you. Like I'm that bad at <laughs> what's anything. What's two plus two?
1: Four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You're not that bad.
0: I'm better than my two-year-old. <laughs> I bet you, if your two-year-old and I had a competition, they win. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it.
1: Did you go through any sort of rebellion phase in your youth?
0: Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so
1: tell me about it.
0: <laughs> so. You've got to keep this in perspective. So if you're an American teenager or British teenager listening to this, you'll be like, what is that? But imagine kind of where I was in this family where girls had never had a job, girls had never had, you know, university education. When I was about 15, I started to wear these really short skirts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think everybody does yeah. at 15, right? Not, but not in India, right? Not in
0: India, not in India, not in Mumbai, not in suburban Mumbai in wow. a nice Malayali family. You know, like we yeah. don't do shit like that. And then one day I remember like I had this really long black hair, you know, and my mother would put this coconut oil every um, Sunday. And it was like this kind of ritual, which I also love. But one day I decided that I didn't like the long black hair. I went and had it cut really short, like up to my ears, or they call a boy cut, and I came home. Oh my God. So my hair was my mother's like pride and joy. It was like the symbol of female beauty in India, especially from Kerala, is like a big thing in in Madhali culture. She didn't speak to me for like, I think, two months after that. Two months? She just didn't speak to me. She would tell my brother, go tell her to eat her dinner. She was yeah. so angry. So yeah, the clothes, the hair. I had friends, I had male friends, which was again, completely unheard of. If a boy called, uh, my mother would like this big inquisition. Like, what does he want, and who is he, and what's and, his family? And this whole
1: time, why, why do you think you had such a rebellion?
0: I think some of it was probably teenage hormones. I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. But I think I knew instinctively. I think I was trying to find a way out mm. of that culture, yeah. of that upbringing, yeah. of that family. Because I remember, like, when I think about it, I feel like this sense of being really suffocated within that life because I had to come home at 6.30. Um, I couldn't, my friends would have parties. I would never be allowed to go to a party. Um, you know, I couldn't wear a certain thing. So I was very, you know, and I think what I was subconsciously doing was creating my life. So it felt like rebellion, but, but actually think, I think what I was doing was like, that's me. That's who I am. Taking charge. Taking charge. You know, in the little ways that I could. taking your power back. Exactly. I were think you, that's what I was doing. Were you scared at all? I guess I must have been. But I don't think I let it, because we, my mother and I were at war for like 10 years. Mm. My brother still talks about it and he's was not happy about it. He was like, why were you always fighting? But what he doesn't understand is that if I didn't fight, I didn't have a life. He had a very different life. He was a boy in an Indian family. Mm. He became an engineer. He's, you know, like done lots of things. So I had to fight. I was fighting for my survival. The survival of the person that I became, I think, is what I was doing. Mm. So it was a very core Mm. fight. Yes. So it could have been about the skirt or the hair, but actually it wasn't about any of those things. It was about, I need to be who I am. You're not giving me the space. So I need to fight to have that space. As South Asian women, We're not taught to fight. If anything, our culture teaches us to adjust, to accommodate to the demands of our families and society. But I think fighting for what we want, whether that's a seat at the corporate table or the right to sexual pleasure or something as simple as choosing the career path we want, is critical. Anger can be cleansing, raging, can be liberating. Remember, so many of our female goddesses are warriors. And they're definitely not waiting to be given things. They demand it. They take it. So if there's something in your life that you really, really want, fight for it.
1: So what happened after... Rebellion. You go go off, you get your degree in commerce, you get a job in advertising. And tell me about those first few years as a working professional.
0: It was really exciting, actually, because I'd never had money. Mm. Um, And it was like piddly. It was like some 2000 rupees or something. It's nothing. That's like 20 pounds or whatever, $25. Like that's how small it was. But at that point, it it meant something. It was my first ever job, and I felt I used to feel really good. And take the Mumbai trains, and they were, they are horrific. Like if you think the New York subway is bad, try Mumbai locals. So it would take me an hour and a half to get to work, hour and a half to come get back. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of how people get into the Mumbai locals. So the train comes in, and before the train stops, you've got to jump in and hang on to the bar, the pole in the middle. And all these ladies in their saris <laughs> would hike up the sari and just jump and wow. aim to get into the middle of the compartment. Like, it was mad. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I'll send you a video. It's, it's quite hilarious. But they were so like adept at it. Like it was, you know, so you had to do that because if you didn't do that, you wouldn't get into the train. Wow. It was just too many people. Right. Right. So you had to do that kind of maneuver. So anyway, so all of that was tough, but I still was very, very happy to kind of have a job like have like a thing I was doing, bring money home. And funny enough, I remember my first paycheck. I bought my mother a sari. I still remember the sari. It was like this cotton uh, block print green and black sari. Mm-hmm. And she was actually really proud of it. Although she and I had quite a complicated relationship, that's one of my happy memories of of her and our relationship. Oh. And she kept the sari for years and anyone that came home she'd say, Oh, this is my daughter, she got me a salary with her so first sweet. salary. So, you know, I think somewhere she was proud of me, even though she said, Oh yes. my god, you're gonna ruin my life. Here's my daughter working professional, earning an exactly. income,
1: helping the family, exactly.
0: buying me nice salaries. Of exactly. Course. Exactly. That's so, so sweet. That yes. was that was really lovely.
1: So yeah, that was a
0: good couple of years. Uh-huh. And how about dating life? Tell me. So dating life, Mel, was a zero because we were not supposed to date we were supposed to get married <laughs> <laughs> so um since the age of like 18 or 19 these cvs would appear at home cvs a cv like a cur- like a resume
1: oh resume okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah for- i think
0: you call them resumes mm-hmm. and they were of boys so when i say boys i mean like marriageable boys mm-hmm. and i remember turning around and saying to my pa- like my parents like Is it like they're applying for the job of my husband? Like, what is this? What am I supposed to do? Like it says his qualifications, his height, his address.
1: And where are are your parents
0: getting these from? I have no idea. They would just appear, like on the on the table. They would Family, just be friends. yeah, must be somebody like as, when yes. a girl reads a certain age, and they're like, oh my god, she's eligible. Yeah, so all fair these, like, skin. Yeah, yeah. I wish I wasn't even fair skin, but and, like good cook, which I, I, I wasn't. I'm weedish. We're <laughs> you know, wheatish. If, if you're not watching this, we're Whedish complexion. We're, we're not Whedish fair complex. skin. <laughs> Couldn't cook because I refused to learn uh-huh. to cook. I'm like, I'm not doing this thing. And But anyway, these these um, resumes used to keep coming and I'd be like, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And then one day, a boy, I say boy in quotes, quotes because the boy was like, I don't know, 30 or something, turned up. I was so angry that somebody had just, me saying, no, 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 I do not want to get into an arranged marriage, had ignored me and turned up. I There was only like, at that point, we were living in this one room, one kitchen. So I came out of the kitchen in my pyjamas. And, you know, the traditional arranged marriage scenario, you're supposed to like wear your sari and wear your jewelry and be like, really pretty. I came in my pajamas and just sat in front of him like really grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so suffice to say, the boy didn't stay very long. <laughs> he left. I feel
1: like this is straight out of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> disgruntled daughter yeah, like, comes into the living sitting, room didn't
0: even brush her hair just sitting there in her pajamas <laughs> like, okay fine deal with this Spills chai <laughs> yeah, yeah. you want chai yeah i'll there give you you chai <laughs> i'm sure the, so. the boy was still smitten with you <laughs> <laughs> he did come back actually oh. and he said oh we like the girl and i'm like well i don't like the boy and that was the end of him. That was the end of that. So nobody else came after that. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the only... So dating as in marriage proposal scenarios. So I briefly did it this one guy. He was such an idiot, but I didn't know any better for a couple of years. What makes a guy an idiot? I was a very different person, very naive, said yes to everything. I've kind of grown into a far stronger person. And he would tell me what to wear, what he didn't like me wearing. Oh. Um, Was there how many drinks I could have? Because all this was hidden because in India you couldn't date. And because I had no experience of relationships, I thought it was love. I remember thinking, oh, I really love this guy. But lucky for me, he dumped me. (laughs) Best thing he ever did. Yeah. Was because, I mean, who knows? I could have ended up marrying him or something, right? Yeah. So he was a horrible guy. Yeah. Really, really not nice. Alan, if you're listening to this, thank you for dumping me.
1: (laughs) I was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> oh, Alan was the name of it. Alan was Is the that name his other. real name?
0: Yeah. 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 yeah okay, Alan.
1: Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye, Alan. <laughs> Adios. Okay, so now you're working, you're turning away these suitors at your home, still have this rebellious energy to you, but this this fire, this independent spirit. Where did your career continue to go? And at what point did you decide to create this podcast? And why?
0: Um, so I carried on working in advertising, moved finally after ten years of trying to leave home by finding other jobs in other cities, mm. I must have applied to hundreds. Nothing worked until one day a job in Bangalore worked. So I left very, very quickly, moved into this tiny one room, um, one bedroom like flat and I was happy as anything. Mm. And my idea of like freedom, you laugh at this, was to drink half a bottle of Bailey's and wear shorts. Because not, I wasn't allowed to do either of those at home.
1: So I was like sitting there thinking, oh, I mom. love me some Baileys.
0: <laughs> Little Baileys yeah. over the holidays. Yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So that was my, this was freedom for me. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, this is an amazing life. Like that's all I wanted to do. So anyway, moved and I ended up going to, I had a couple of days between joining my new job. So I'm like, what do I do? I don't know anyone in Bangalore. I got on a bus and went to Goa. Like I'd never done anything like that before. Didn't know anyone in Goa got into an auto, like a tuk-tuk, and started chatting with him. And said, do you know any nice hotels? So he recommended this hotel. I ended up staying in this hotel. And remember that I've never gone anywhere. This is my first ever trip anywhere. And um, I sat there, and this guy, English guy, came to join us, joined me and the lady who ran the hotel. And he asked me for, uh, he said, do you want to go for lunch? So we went for lunch. And over lunch, he said to me, don't freak out, but I'm going to marry you. And I'm like, whatever, dude. I've just managed to escape my home. I'm really not <laughs> getting married <laughs> to anybody. But I did about three years later. He was very uh-huh. persistent and he kept flying over from the UK and all of that. So we moved to the UK eventually. The marriage didn't work out. But, you know, I think everything in life were, happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I continued working in advertising in many jobs. You know, it was OK. And about five years ago, I had I guess what can best be described as a sort of a mental health breakdown. It -hmm. was hard, highly anxious, couldn't get out of bed, like everything was like palpitations. It was just really, really scary. And I had no experience of anything like that before. Like no one that I knew had spoken about anything like that. Now looking back, I think it's all the stuff I hadn't addressed in my childhood. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crap that happened. Mm -hmm. My dad, his violence, my mum, she was murdered. There was a lot of stuff and I I think like a lot of people just said, right, I need to get on. I need to work. I need to do this. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Until there was a point when I wasn't. It was hard. It was really hard. So there was a couple of months of very dark days and coming out of it, I kind of did a lot of therapy, a lot of kind of inner work. I realized that I no longer wanted to work in advertising. The path that, again, instinctively knew was this this work with South Asian women, feminism. I started running these workshops for South Asian women to write their stories. I did about 20 of those the first year. Then I was like, I need to do something with this. Turn those into two theater shows. Uh, Got South Asian actors together. And a lot of people came to see them and loved it because we'd never seen our stories represented. So what were you doing with these workshops? So I've always been a writer. So it's something that the only thing I knew is words and writing. So I'm like, I'm going to get a bunch of women together and get us to talk about all the stuff we don't talk about. Which is like the basis of this podcast. Exactly. So sex, periods, mental health, you know, all the stuff. And my brief to each of these workshops were like, think about the one taboo that you've experienced and write about it. And I'd coach them and kind of tweak those stories. And then I found a a director and a producer, turned it into the shows. The shows were like received really well. Like all these women came up to me, hugging me and saying like, oh, my God, we never see our stories on, you know, represented in that way on a screen in the theater. And I was like, this is really, really good. Like I knew that there was something really good there. For me, having that huge mental health crisis was the best thing to happen. And I'm not saying this lightly. Like so many who experience mental health issues, it was incredibly tough not being able to get out of bed or function beyond the most basic level but it forced me to stop it forced me to seek help it showed me that i literally couldn't carry on as i had all my life because ignoring difficult emotions is what we all do right we tell ourselves you know it's okay ignore what we're feeling and hope it goes away so yes My mental health crisis was the hardest thing, but also the best thing to happen. Because everything good in my life came from there. This podcast, this life, this clarity, this joy. And I'm deeply grateful. I wanted to broaden the canvas. I'm like, I want to reach a lot more of my Women, like when I say my women, I mean like South Asian women like us. I started thinking about what were the other avenues. So theater is great, but it only reaches like a couple hundred people at a time. And I wanted to reach a lot more. Someone sent me a link to a uh, podcasting competition from Spotify called Sound Up, And it was to find more women of color podcasters. And I just dashed off these couple of lines thinking it was at midnight or something. And I'm like, oh, I'll never hear back from them. They called me the next week. And they said, um, we had 750 people apply in London. You were one of 10 that got Mm. shortlisted. I was put into like this boot camp for podcasting uh, for like a week long. And at the end of the boot camp, I got five minutes, all 10 contestants got five minutes to pitch to the head of BBC Audio, Apple Audio and Google Audio. And they got five minutes to ask you questions. And I did my presentation. This is where the advertising experience came in very useful. I'm like, okay, my five minute deck rock. Uh-huh. And I won the competition.
1: That's fantastic and I'm so glad that you found that contest and that you you just crushed it. And your experiences leading up to that point prepared you.
0: I say this all the time like there is nothing wasted in our lives, whatever we may do, even the pain. Nothing's wasted. Everything leads you to the point of where you're supposed to go. Like I look back now, look back at all the pain, my mother, you know, like us and, you know, all the pain of those early years, um, advertising, the things I learned, everything has led me to this point in my life where I do the podcast and I do the work that I do. So for all of us, I think there's nothing wasted.
1: On our interview for season five, I had a similar turning point too. So many stresses and pressures. Your body just breaks down, right? And you have to use that as a signal and take a new path forward, which is what you did. And now you have this award-winning podcast that is reaching so many people. So what continues to Propel you forward. You've done five seasons now. And what keeps you going? There's You've already had such success. You could say, you know, I've done my part. I'm going to go work on something else. But you're not. You're here.
0: <laughs> you're here and you're so
1: invested. Yes,
0: massively. So to me, so it's been super successful, right? Like to explain to somebody, like, I am not from the audio world. I don't know anybody at the BBC, uh, you know, or anything I didn't know what a podcast was. I had to actually Google what a podcast was. Like seriously. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know. I'm old, you know, like I grew up with radio. I don't know what a podcast is. So for someone like me coming in with zero knowledge, so it is a big deal, I think, that podcasting allows that space. So I have a h- lot of time and passion for podcasting because of that. But I learned and I taught myself and I had people, you know, supporting, helping, all of that. It's been hugely successful, like six British Podcast Awards, Audio Production Award. I was on a billboard in New York City.
1: It was big.
0: You in pink, the billboard in pink. A little bit insane. All those are great. So that's obviously, you know, like it's validation for the work you do. And I've been kind of written about and I'm on the BBC and Guardian and, you know, and all of that's happened organically. So that's, again, wonderful. So I really feel like this is a divine journey in many ways. Like I really feel like I am guided. All I know is the next step. I know what the next step is. I don't know anything beyond that. And then as I do that, then the next step unfolds Mm -hmm. and the next step unfolds. So therefore, I believe like there's a divine purpose to all of this. The thing that keeps me here and turning up and doing this again and again and again is the women in our community. I was one of those women. I would have loved to have a podcast like this when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and drive some sort of strength or energy or support from it. But I want to do this for the girls for our girls, for our young women, for our sisters, for our daughters. I want to be in their ears and I want to tell them that it's okay, you know, that it's okay to challenge some of the stuff you've been taught. Not everything is culture. We're allowed to pick and choose. We can be the women we want to be and still be Asian or Indian or Pakistani or whatever, you know, can be American, can be British, can be whatever we want to be. So to me, it's That's why I do this. I get a lot of feedback, like amazing feedback. Like almost every single week I get an email or a message or a DM or something um, from young girls in India who sort of write to me and to say, you know, thanks to you, we feel less alone. Like I say this always because it's so dramatic. I was in Kerala, someone contacted me on Instagram to say, hey, are you in my city? And I was. And she said, uh, how do you feel about a coffee? So we met in the cafe, had a cup of coffee. And she said, um, you know, your podcast changed my life, like quite literally. And I'm like, okay. And she said um, she had an arranged marriage and the, the husband was gay. And in many traditional South Asian homes, they'll marry a guy off thinking it'll fix him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things. And obviously they were unhappy So she told her in-laws that, you know, we don't really have a sexual relationship because, you know, he's he's not that way inclined. They had a word with him. He forced himself on her. She got pregnant. She lost the baby. And she's like, I had the most traumatic time. But she said, through all of this, I kept listening to your podcast. I kept listening to your episodes again, the same episodes sometimes over and over again. And one day I left. And like, even now, when I say this, I get goosebumps. You know, it's like, I didn't know what to say to her. I just That's sort incredible. of just stared at her and I'm like, thank you was all I said. Oh Because so I was gosh. just, you know, like really you blown really away. You really
1: changed her life. I really changed her life. Wow. I'm That's, sure there's so many more stories yeah, like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And her I just happened to meet, you know, because I don't know what it is. like. People will very rarely reach out to tell you. If you meet them, they'll say, oh, my God, you know, I heard this or this happened. But, it, you know, it takes a lot for someone to reach out mm-hmm. and tell you that. So to me, that, that girl, that young girl in India or this girl I met in Kochi, Mm. that's why I do this. Mm. And I will do this until my dying breath. (laughs) Like, I don't know how, (laughs) Uh you know, whether I get the funds to do it, not, you know, whatever. I don't know what happens, Uh but I will find a way to keep doing this because it is that important. Mm. Um, So yeah, that in a nutshell is why I do this.
1: Well, that's a beautiful
0: way to to close things. Is there...
1: Anything else you'd like to share with your audience? Um,
0: yeah, keep, um, keep talking to me, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I love to hear from you and I will respond as I always do to every single message that you send me. Because to me, it's a really precious relationship that you, the audience and I have. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep writing to me, keep telling me what, you know, if it helps you, what you'd like to hear. Is there anything different you want me to do? Just tell me. And I'll do my best to make it happen. Um, And follow the work, tell each other about it. Um, I've just done the US season of the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, which Mel was on. Uh, I want to do another American season because I find it very interesting how the American South Asian experience is so different from the British South Asian experience. And the Indian experience, the Pakistani, it's just so different, dramatically different. It really surprised me. Mm -hmm. So I like being surprised as well. (laughs) So I went in thinking it was going to be one thing and it wasn't. So I had to kind of change things and I like that. So I hope to do another season here. Um, I hope to come back to the US. Uh, I want to do maybe something in Canada. So I want to kind of reach, there are, I don't know how many million, 2.75 million South Asian women in this country. Mm. Canada is a similar amount. There's just millions and millions of us. Mm-hmm. And we, because of the culture we come from and also Western culture, it doesn't really kind of give us a lot of voice. We tend to be the quiet ones. We're the ones that are the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, the ones behind the desk, you know, working away. But I want us to have a voice. I want us to kind of step up, talk, ask for what we need. Even if it's not been given to us. We can be quiet. We don't need to be shouty. Or if we don't want to be, we can be shouty if we want. Whatever. But ask. Use your voice. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing in the world. But it's also the most like beautiful and profoundly life-changing thing that you can do. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras dedicated to celebrating and supporting South Asian women. This is a space for all of us bad babies who don't do as we're told. This is where we get to celebrate our culture our way and be exactly who we want to be. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or my website soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter just look for Soul Sutras. Bas sharam, the means, Gandhi, hi hi, bad Betty.